I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. It is like bread from heaven. And we ask that you would uh, sustain us and feed us and enable us to, to grow. Uh, Lord, we know that sometimes we can become, um, our minds can become crowded by all of the things that are going on within our life and within our world. But Lord, we ask that you would um, still those waters and that you would speak to us for Jesus Christ's sake. And all God's people say, now, before I, I get to the message, I've just got a couple of kind of logistical things to share. So we met as a, a leadership team last week. That was the first time we met in 2018. So, so it's been, it seems like ages anyway. And the big thing we were really talking about is the relaunch of a church. Those who don't know, uh, we as a church are on a journey and we're looking at, uh, at going from Lancaster Free Methodist Church to becoming Hope Church. We ideally and inevitably want to see the culture of a church change, not just the name, okay? So, so, so it's not just a paper exercise, or at least I hope it's not going to be a paper exercise. Just because I don't want to kind of wing it, I want to tell you about some of the concrete steps that are, are happening. One, uh, since we had an extraordinary meeting in December, and I thought it was quite an extraordinary meeting, but anyway... We had an extraordinary meeting in December. We will not be having the vision night this year as a church. So, so in this church, we practice covenant. Basically, covenant is those who are in. Like, it's my church, okay? Basically, like, in, like if you ever belong to a motorbike gang, and by the looks of some of you, you clearly have. You get the leather jacket. Uh, here, we make covenant. And... Um, um, so we will not be having a vision night. The next big church meeting will be the relaunch. Uh, I'm going to be giving regular updates on a Sunday morning. And uh, we are going to be preaching through our core principles. Because we've got communion, we've got a lot of stuff to do. We're not going to get you to stand up and say it. Though I kind of like doing that. But you're off the hook for a couple of weeks at least. Two. Uh, we've decided to double the amount of meetings that we are having as a leadership team. So rather than meeting every month, we are now meeting every fortnight. In fact, this week we're meeting twice uh, within the week just because, like you, we love to be in meetings too. And we believe that there's a great work that needs to be done. Three, uh, I'm in the process of talking to a large church which are relaunching or have relaunched. They're about 10 times the size of us. So I want to figure out like what they have done, what concrete steps they have taken. I know as a denomination, we're looking at a relaunch ourselves. We're going to show a little bit of a, a video of, of what's come out of that process. And some of our other churches around the country are relaunching too. And fourthly, uh, we've asked someone external from the leadership team to come in to, to give us a help with the relaunch. Uh, that's Lev, the, the good-looking, bearded kind of guy who was doing the hosting earlier on in the service. And that's purely because if you're in a clique or in a group for too long, okay, you can have this thing called groupthink where you can't see or hear anything outside of your own little kind of mentality. Uh, th that is why it was difficult for the Pharisees and the Sadducees to hear the message of Jesus. Like the sinners got it. Like, 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 like the hookers. 
and the hardcore sinners got it, but the religious people who knew their Bibles didn't get it. It's because of this thing called group think. So here's the preamble, and here's our first core principle, and it's, it's going to kind of lead in. There's going to be a segue. Where's my man Tony? I'm stealing that word. He used it earlier in the week at Life Group, so I'm going to steal it, and then it will segue into our message. Preamble says this, we believe that the most important commandment is to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So it's not two commandments, it's one. This commandment I give to you that you might love one another, okay? That's the preamble, kind of, that's the beginning, that's the foundation, that's where we start. Here's the core principle of what it might look like for us as individuals and as a church. Therefore, we will live our individual and corporate lives in a way that is acceptable and pleasing to God. It's a good job we've got a leadership team because I wanted to put that we will live our individual and corporate lives as an unending hymn of praise. Oh, and some poetry, man, right? They're not as poetic as me. Okay, that we might live our individual and corporate lives in a way that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the scripture verse was Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So we're going to be looking at worship and All great biblical sermons, and this might not be one, but all great biblical sermons have three points. These are the three points we're going to be looking at. One, the reason for our worship. Two, the external expression of our worship. Three, the internal regulation for our worship. So let me just begin by sharing a quote from a guy called A.W. Tozer. Give me a wave if you heard of A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer is a player, okay? Don't hate the player, hate the game. All right, he was a holiness preacher. He was a kind of like a mystical guy. He's like a dude. He's like he's heavyweight. All right, if you haven't read Tozer, go and read Tozer. Like like get your your purpose driven life by Rick Warren, who's kind of cool. Like leave it on the shelf and then get your worship driven life by A. W. Tozer, or go and get your pursuit of God by A. W. Tozer. And this is what Tozer said in regard to worship. I put it on the look. This is how good I am. I put it on the screen. So you can take a picture or take notes. And if you take notes, you're more likely to go to heaven. Right? Just, just, I'm just saying. I'm just. We are saved to worship God. Like, like That is what our salvation is all about. We are saved to worship God. All that Christ has done for us in the past and all that he is doing now leads to this one end. You think about preaching. It's worship. You think about youth work. It's worship. You think about the song worship. It's worship. Okay, you think about everything that we do within the Christian life leads to this great end. There is a, a trajectory of the Christian life, individual and corporate, and it is worship. That's what Tozer is saying. But we need to understand the reason for our worship. And the reason why we need to understand the reason for our worship is because we, we, we completely misunderstand it. Now, now, before we can look at the reason, I better drink this water in case I spill this water. The reason why we worship, to to understand that, we have to acknowledge that we are designed for worship. Now, I know people say we live in a secular, atheistic society. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that. But the reason why 
People stand in football grounds with their arms outstretched, singing, when you walk. Come on, man, you know what I'm saying? The Liverpool fans and the Celtic fans know exactly what I'm talking about, right? The reason why people queue up at 4 o'clock in the flipping morning to go to the next sale, okay, up to 70% off, it doesn't mean there is actually 70% off, all right? It's because of worship. Like, it's like a, it's a worship ritual. But the reason why we have sacred days like anniversaries and graduations, it's because we're designed for worship. Even eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia mirror worship. They mirror the fasting and the feasting that we see in worship. Like I know it's about self-esteem and body image and, and things you can control, but, but it is a perversion of that which we were created to do. We were made to worship. We were made to worship. So we're not only worshippers by design, we're worshippers by choice. Like, it's not just that we're made to worship, we want to worship. We want to worship. Like that something in us longs to be drawn into the transcendent and the magnificent. Like we want to be reminded of our own smallness within the universe. Like, I don't know if you've ever stood on the edge of a great mountain top or if, if you stood in one of these beautiful cathedrals where you're surrounded by artistic creativity and, and majestic beauty and, and you feel good because you feel small and you know that there's, there's something bigger and, 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 and more powerful and awe-inspiring out there in the universe that we've, we've kind of just, we've, we've, we've touched it and we've kind of tapped into it and even stuff like adventure sport it's like it's like that exhilaration knowing that there is more to life than this like we we choose we choose to worship because we we want to we want to know that there's more than this life like we want to appease our guilty consciences don't we we realize that we don't even measure up to our own pattern of perfection like it's really easy to point the finger at this person and that person and that group and this group and like, like everybody is so wretched except for me. But you are full of kick, man. You're full of it. You don't even measure up to your own pattern of perfection. And that is why in the dark recesses of night, you feel guilty and you feel ashamed. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? You feel ashamed because you know not only what you have done, but you know what you are capable of. We choose to worship. Some of us, we, we choose to worship because we think that somehow we can get God on our side. And that the quintessential concept of worship or, or this understanding of what worship is, is, is like the, the naked savages. All right? But we haven't got a picture, so I didn't want to cause you to stumble. All right, but these naked savages, and they say these magic words like some kind of incantation, and they make an offering that God might bless them and be good to them. Here's the problem sometimes that's exactly what you see within the church. Like, we think that the reason why we should worship is because if we worship, if we get things really right, really good. Like individually or corporately, like, like if, we, if we fast and pray and, and, and read the book of Leviticus, because everybody knows it's a really tough book to read, okay? And we volunteer at Sunday school and we grab old ladies and help them cross the road even though they don't want to cross that road, right? 
like, like we think that God will love us and that he will bless us. And if we can get church so perfect, like so amazing, and we're praying and we're fasting and, and that, that God will come and visit us, that's not why we worship. It's not it. That's not it. We worship because of the mercies of God. Let me explain it to you, because I see it so wrongly taught and understood by Christians, even in pulpits and prayer meetings. Look, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, that Christ is the end of the law. So, so what I want you to understand is, within the scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is law, that is what you must do, and there is grace, that is what has been done. So, the Bible says, if you will humble yourself and pray, I will come and heal your land. That's a law. It's a law. We should humble ourselves. We should pray. We should believe that God will heal the land. But how humble do you actually have to be for God to heal the land? You're never going to be humble enough. How much are you going to actually pray for God to come and heal the land? Yeah? That's a good thing to do. We want to exhort you to do that. But let me tell you, grace says, no, Christ has humbled himself. And he constantly makes intercession for us. He's the one who's praying. He's the one who's been made humble. Okay? Let, let me give you another example. The Bible says this, that they were healed in accordance to their faith. So that means the law is this, that you can't be healed without faith. And we want to encourage that. You know, that, that radical uh, can do. Nothing is impossible for God. But the truth of it is, how many people medicinal and miraculous means without the faith just because God has chosen to do it. That's grace. It's what he's done. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Like we think that, that if we give financially to God, and we'd encourage you to do that. If we give financially to God, that God's going to bless us financially. It's law. It says, he became poor that we might be rich. Clearly, it's talking about salvation in that passage. But God is a God who provides. So get this. Like I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about then. I'm talking about now. You might be sleeping around. You might be playing with pornography. You might be a vindictive, wicked, gossiping old bat. Okay? You might be religiously hypocritical. Everybody thinking that you are better than you actually are. And Jesus Christ loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. And he will do good to you anyway because he's good. I'm not saying you're going to get everything that you want because God, like a loving parent, is not going to let you play with a food blender. It's not how it works. Here's, here's how Paul puts it. Can you put um, uh, verse 1 on for me? Paul says, I beseech you. Now, the Greek word here, just because it makes me look smart, is parakaleo. Now, now let me tell you, para as in parallel, alongside. So Paul is saying, I'm getting alongside you here. I'm not shouting at you from the front like Steve is doing. I'm getting alongside you. I beseech you. Kaleo is, I urge you. I plead with you. I beg you. Like Paul, this is the heart of a pastor. He said, I beseech you. Like, I, like I, I want you to understand this. By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service. 
He's saying it's because God has been good. That's it. That's the gospel. Start to finish. Do you remember the, the, the hymn, Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe. Come on, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. He paid it, man. He paid it. The only thing you contribute to salvation and God's goodness is your sin. That's the reason why we worship. That's why we have to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel, remind ourselves of the gospel, remind ourselves of the gospel, because everybody wants to say that you need to be good enough. You will never be good enough. In LFM, we want to say it's okay not to be okay because we believe in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We're screw-ups. You sit next to a screw-up, it's okay. You're looking at a screw-up, it's okay. God loves you anyway, and he gives you the power to change your life. Oh, man, oh, I could just preach that point. Hallelujah. Here's the second point. Here's the second point. Let me just say this, because I thought it was awesome. George Whitfield was one of the founders of Methodism. We always say John Wesley, and it was actually John Wesley and George Whitfield. They just lead different wings of the Methodist movement. George Whitfield said... But law and grace are like two fingers which squeeze the pus out of the spot of sin. Like you need to hear the law because you need to know what is expected of you. Sell everything and give it to the poor. Then you can be perfect. But then you need to hear grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the free gift of God lest anyone should both. We need both and we misunderstand it sometimes thinking that it's just moralistic principles and teaching. Okay, that's, that's what we believe in. Two, what does it look like? What is the external expression of our worship? Let me tell you first what it isn't. It is not emotional manipulation. Like it's not like we dim the lights, you get in this really kind of heavy, hard-hitting testimony. I used to be an IRA terrorist or whatever. We play these kind of like worship songs. It's kind of like a club, you know, your favorite songs, you know, the ones that, that do something to you, right? It's not manipulation. It's not emotional manipulation. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's not due to coercion or compulsion. Worship is not doing what everybody expects of you. It's not conforming to, to some kind of group norm. It's not that. That's not what worship is. It is an external expression of your whole being. I've, I've put here, i put here that it is, it is volitional, it is total, and it is, if I can find the, the next bit, continual. It was volitional, it is total, and it is continual. Let me explain what volitional is. Volitional is this, we choose to worship. Like no one is putting a gun to our head. Like we, this is not really about what everybody else thinks or what everybody else is doing. We're not doing it because everybody else is doing it. This isn't Beatlemania. We're not carried along by some kind of crowd effect. It is volitional. We choose to because we are grateful for what God has done. Yeah? We're not, we're not doing it because it's some kind of refrigerated ritualism. We do it because that's what we've always done. 
We worship because we want to worship. If you are here today because someone dragged you, I think it's great that you're here today. Make sure they buy you lunch. But let me tell you, don't you ever cross the line in believing in Jesus Christ unless you have made the decision for yourself. The reason why so many people who grew up in Christian homes fall away when they get to university is because some of them have never been saved. They are piggy banking on their parents' faith. They just don't know. It's, it's not their faith. It is completely volitional. Paul says, you present your own bodies. Don't, don't be forced to do it by anybody else. You present your own bodies. It, it's, it's total. It's not partial service. It's total service. It's like in which when you read the, the traditional wedding ceremony, I know everybody's got these new fangled versions of the wedding ceremony. See in the old one it said this, with thy body I do honor you. Right? With thy body I do honor you. What it's talking about there is the entirety and the totality of your love for the other person. It's saying, look, in big things and small things, I've got your back. Like, I'm not talking about things which are ungodly. I'm not talking about things that are immoral. I'm not talking about that. It's saying in big things and small things, I've got your back. If you want the toilet seat down, the toilet seat's going to go down, all right? If that's what you want. And if you want to put fruit in the fridge, and we know that bananas make things go off quicker than they do, but if you want fruit in the fridge, it's going in the fridge. And the big things too. If, if that's the house you want, if whatever, you know, it's, it's totality. Love is about totality. It's giving all of ourselves. Okay, It's not just intellectual. Some of you have got an intellectual understanding of what worship is. You love systematic theology. You love expository preaching. You sit like a child at, like, like doing Where's Wally, looking for just a slip-up. Okay, Get a life. Get a life. And some of you are the other way. It's all emotional. It's kind of fluffy and it's woolly and, you know, you sing. And, 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 and actually, it's all about the fear. If you don't get the, the liver shiver, okay, the quiver down the back, the spirit hasn't turned up. Look, look, where the word is preached and God chooses to make his manifest power kind of, kind of uh, uh, seen and felt, there the Spirit is at work. When we make much of Jesus, the Spirit is at work. Whether you had a liver quiver or not. It's saying, no, you can be intellectually on the game. Like you can know your, your systematic theology and your, your Westminster Shorter Catechism. You can be theologically on the game and not worship Him because you live like everybody else. You look, what, what, does your, what, is your, what is your timekeeping look like? like? What does your finances look like? What does your attitude look like? Or you can have an emotional feeling, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my heart. Yeah, that's right, because he's not the Lord of the rest of you. Love, it, it asks for entirety and totality. Like the Taj Mahal was built because of love. The reason why songs like I Will Always Love You, and everybody knows the Whitney Houston version is the best, all right, it was written because of love. Plays like Romeo and Juliet were written because of love. I've got a quote from Romeo and Juliet. I did, I, I did drama. Can you believe that? I, well, all right. All right, enough. Enough. Is that how you treat the Lord's anointed? And this is my favorite scene, act three, scene five, in, 
Oh, I put scene four, but it's not. It's act three, scene five in Romeo and Juliet. Now, now Romeo, a.k.a. Leonardo DiCaprio, all right? And if you don't get the reference, get a Netflix account, all right? He, he, he has sneaked into his, Juliet, his, his girlfriend's room, okay, under the cover of darkness. That's against the law, and you could be arrested. If, if I was a dad and I found you, oh, I'd be going Old Testament on you. And she's like, get the heck out of here. Like, it's going to be morning. If you don't go, you're going to die. And he says this, let me be taken. Let me be taken. Let me be put to death. I am content, so thou wilt have it so. He said, look, I don't give a monkeys. You think I'm scared to die? I don't give a monkeys. He says, I have more care to stay than will to go. He says, I'd rather be with my baby. I have more care to stay than will to go. Next one. Come death and welcome if Juliet wills it so. He says, sweetheart, if you want me to die, I'm prepared to die. He says, how is it, my soul? Let's talk. It is not the day. Even though it's clearly the day, the sun has come beaming through the windows like joking day standing tip-top on Misty Mountain. I remember that bit too. All right? It is clearly the day. He said, no, I love with totality. I love with entirety. I'm willing to give everything. The external expression of our worship, it's not just volitional. It is total. It is complete. It is sacrificial. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's worship. That's worship. And then he says, he goes on to the, the next verse. Oh, I've got another quote, haven't I? From the African Bible commentary. Can you stick that up? Here's what the African Bible commentary says. I thought I'd go for a black Jesus because everybody thinks he's a white Jesus, all right? And because I'm quoting from the African Bible commentary, I thought I'd go for black Jesus. Everybody knows he was brown. Like he was, just saying, right? The word body, talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 1, represents far more than just our belongings or our money. It means the totality of our life. Plans and activities. It's everything. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. If you were Pentecostals, you'd speak to back, back to me at this point. It's continual. I, uh, I was reading a fable ages ago, and, 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 and it says this. It was about a proud pig and a humble cow. And the pig says to the cow, you cows only give milk. We give our lives. And then the cow says to the pig, you only give once, we give every day. So it's not like I walked forward at an evangelistic appeal or that I reached some point of entire sanctification. Worship is day to day. It's everything day to day. It's moment by moment. Like it's not that God's some kind of egocentric, maniacal fiend, but he's got such low self-esteem that he needs your praise and needs your worship. Okay, that's not it. That is not it at all. Okay, in fact, we give to him and he gives back to us. Do, do you know worship is actually good for you? Did you know that? Worship's good for you. There was a, a, a TED talk that I, that I watched and within this TED talk it said, if you smile and if you sing and if you lift your hands in the international position of victory, do you know what? It releases endorphins. That's the feel-good highs that you get, which help with your immune system, and it helps with stress, and, and, and it helps with all sorts of things. And it lowers cortisol. 
And you're like, what the heck's cortisol? Cortisol is what makes you stressed out. It's linked with obesity. It's linked with illness. Okay, uh, It's linked with addictive behavior. Do you know when we worship, actually, we're not just worshiping because God needs us to worship. We're worshiping because God knows what's best for us. John Piper, any, any John Piper fans in the house? Give me a wave. John Piper calls it Christian hedonism. He says this, uh, next slide. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We think mean, worship means that we allow some cruel dictator to play with our lives. That's not how it works. Like, like I remember growing up, well, not growing up, but becoming a Christian. I still haven't grown up. And it was like, but, but God, if, if I follow you, man, it means that you're going to make me do stuff that I don't want to do. Like, I want to marry a girl that's hot. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I don't want to be doing mission in Africa. I don't want to be doing that, man. God knows what is best for you. He even knows more than you know what is best for you. And it might not look like what you think it looks like. God's got your best interest. And when you worship him, not just with your mouth, but with your life, he will do good things to you. That's the God we worship. Honestly, I've been a pastor nine years in May. I know it doesn't show. I have. And I meet people whose lives are falling apart. But let me tell you something. See the people who are following ferociously in their faith? Their lives are often not falling apart. Now, it's not that they don't have problems. They seem to, A, have less problems, but B, they have a resilience which those who are not following fiercely after God just don't have. Do you know that? God wants what's best for you. When we give in our totality, we give continually understanding that God has got our best interests at heart. Let me give you the last point. Or no one's going home. Here's the last point. The internal regulation of our worship. Can you stick verse 2 up for me, buddy? It says, but let's say this together, guys. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That basically, in the Greek, is better translated, do not be conformed to this age. Now, historically, what some people have thought that means is, we kind of separate ourselves from the world. So in the 60s and 70s, believe it or not, churches split over if you can have guitars or drums in church. Isn't that pathetic? What is wrong with people? It doesn't mean that. In fact, we are encouraged to have an understanding of the culture and the context we find ourselves in. I would say, read the books that people are reading, watch the films that people are watching, listen to the songs that people are listening to. Have an understanding of current events. If you don't, it means that you have no idea what is going on in the world around you and there is no way that you can speak into it. Now, obviously, I'm not saying go and watch Fifty Shades of Grey. That would be moronic. But we are missionaries. We are missionaries. We need to understand our culture. We need to understand our context. Uh, context. Do you honestly think it's more glorifying to God because nobody knows what the heck you're talking about because you keep pulling out all these Jesus buzzwords? Talks like the way we talk sometimes. Like I hear people talking, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, and even I don't know what the heck they're talking about. I'm like, what the heck's this idiot? No, no, it's not saying that. It's saying when it comes to the way in which we live, the way in which we think, or the way in which we act, 
We are non-conformist and we are happy to be non-conformist. And saturating ourselves with a biblical mentality, you can lose that passage, buddy. Saturating ourselves with a biblical mentality, allowing our reason and our creativity and our imagination to be shaped by the world, it will change the way we live. Like we know what God wants and what God desires. We don't just make it up on the hop. Like we don't think, okay, this is what everybody else is doing. Like who gives a monkeys what everybody else is doing? Like, like, I don't know how things work now, but when I was a wee boy, non-conformity was cool. Now everybody wants to be the same. Even when they think they're being non-conformist, everybody's just being conformist. How come in this so-called tolerant society where everybody is supposed to be tolerant and tolerance is the 11th commandment, how come no one is flipping tolerant about born-again Christians, Bible-believing evangelicals? Tell me. Like you can do what you, you can literally do what you want. But if you say, oh, uh, I actually don't agree with that. I, I, like, I follow Jesus. Jesus is, is my homie, and I love him. He's my God. Like, I've got a poster of him above my bed. You know, I've got the tattoo and all that sort of stuff. Like, I'm, I'm with Jesus. Everybody starts wiling out and getting flipping mental. Why? Why? I ain't hating on anybody. I'm just saying, how come tolerance doesn't go both ways? When we saturate ourselves with a biblical worldview, it regulates the way we worship because it regulates the way we live. We live in a Christ-honoring way. You know, that's why I love the Puritans. But the Puritans were so saturated with Scripture that even when they're not quoting the Bible, they're quoting the Bible. Every metaphor, every image, every illustration is just biblical. Or John the Apostle in the book of Revelation and you're like, uh-oh, he mentioned Revelation. It's one of those kind of churches. Look, look, chill, chill. He never quotes the Old Testament once, but his, his book is just saturated with Old Testament imagery and metaphors. Our minds, our imaginations are supposed to be transformed by biblical imagery. Okay? Biblical reasoning. Okay? It regulates what we do and how we live. Uh, to come up, and I want to I wanna close by sharing with you a Billy Graham quote. Now, Billy Graham said this in 1957. Some of you were born before that, but I'm just saying, right? This is what he said. 1957, he's talking to university students at a mission conference. So, so get the context here. Like he, He's not talking to a group of pastors in the Bible Belt. And in this, this, this sermon, the 1957 address, he shares a letter from a young guy who has left his fiance because he's converted to communism. And he will go on and say, if this is what a guy does for the sake of communism, how much more should we do for the cause of Christ? He says, from the letter, we communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung and lynched and tarred and feathered and jailed and slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs. In every way, our life is made as uncomfortable as possible for us. A certain per percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty, and we turn back to the party every penny we make above that which is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists don't have the time or the money for movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. They've described us as fanatics, but we are. 
Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in our life. We subordinate our petty and personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard to you, or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated. Each of us, in his small way, is contributing to something new and better for humanity. I'm going to read this bit. Listen up, man. Budget person next to you said, listen up. You didn't do it. Do it. There is one thing in which I am in dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my meat and my bread. I work at it in the daytime. I dream of it at night. It's hold on me. It grows. It does not lessen as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, even a conversation without relating it to the force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate books, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. I've always been in jail because of my ideas, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before the firing squad. I'm not going to ask you for that kind of commitment, but I am going to say this. Look, if we're going to change as a church, financially, we're going to need you to up your game. Uh, Kath Lee was talking about our giving. We've gone up, and that's great. And look, we just really want to thank you for giving. But if you divide it by the amount of covenant members, it's pretty pitiful. Like covenant members are the ones who should be carrying the weight. I know those who aren't in covenant giving, that's great, and we love you. Thank you for it. And hey, if you don't give because you can't afford it, we get that, and we love you, and that's okay. But if you give just because you can't be bothered and you don't really believe in what we do, that's fine. You should maybe look at another church. Maybe you should not be in covenant. That's it. End the chat. We, we could really do with the refreshments team. We really could. Like I'm thinking like black shirts which say barista on the back. I'm thinking like urban cool. I'm thinking that. We need volunteers. And, and how it works is some people will volunteer for anything. But if you say or go on a rotor, they while out. But that's what we need. We could do with a pre-service setup team. Like, so this smell for a brief walking. We could really, really do with that. Do you know we pay a cleaner against creating employment, but we play a cleaner because people can't be bothered doing it themselves. That, that, that's what we do. We've got this kind of mentality. Don't worry about it. You know what? Somebody else is going to do it. Look, I want to make a flipping difference in the world. I really do. And I'm happy to wring my life out. And I want people with me who's going to stand shoulder to shoulder to make a difference. And if you're not that people, that's cool. I'm in the wrong place or you are. Someone needs to figure it out. But our individual and our corporate lives are for the cause of the kingdom. We live God-honoring lives. God-honoring lives. Not because we feel we can earn his merit. And not, do, you know, do you know what? Like hundreds of years. Who cares if people remember who we are or not? But so we can stand and say, in our time, in our age, we made a difference. We have to stop piggybacking off the suffering and sacrifice of other people. It's going to have to be all hands on deck. That's what we're going to need. That's what we're going to need. 
I'm going to ask you to stand and, and we, we're going to sing. And, and as we sing, as we sing, uh, there's two things I just kind of want to, to challenge you with. One is the mercy of God. Like, do you know that God really loves you? Like, he really loves you. And look, he knows what you were up to last night or the night before or last week. He knows and he loves you anyway. He just loves you. That's just who he is. And the second thing I want to say is, although we do not have to do a single thing for him to love us anymore, out of gratitude, God would call each and every one of us to make a difference in the way we live individually and as a people I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to come forward because I want to let you get off the hook. I don't want this to be emotional manipulation. I want you to go and speak to your life group leader or your ministry group leader in two weeks' time because that's when it is, okay? And say, look, I want, it, I want in. I want to be part of this. I want to make a difference for the sake of the kingdom. And if that's not you, that is totally fine. But if we're going to change this church, that's the kind of mentality we're going to need. Amen? Matt.